As Jesse said, my name is Daniel. I am one of the elders and pastors here at Aletheia Church. And it is good to see each and every one of your smiling faces this morning on this beautiful day that the Lord has given us. Is no one as excited about this beautiful day as I am? Yes, yes. My kids have been swimming in our pool for two weeks now. We keep sending all photos to our friends back in the Northwest and in Texas and all the other places. So just rubbing it in just a little bit. But yeah, since August, we have been in the books of First and Second Timothy, and we have titled this extended series, Instructions to a Young Church. And I can't think of a better way to wrap up these two books of Scripture than with the text that we will cover today. Now, my sermon title for today is this, Fight the Good Fight, Finish the Race, Keep the Faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-8, through 8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. In case you haven't been with us, or if you've forgotten, we, as best we can tell, this is the very last letter that Paul ever wrote. He wrote it at the very end of his life. He is sitting in his second imprisonment in Rome. He is awaiting his execution by the emperor Nero. And these are the final words that he pins to his spiritual son in the faith, Timothy. He takes comfort in his life and in his situation, knowing that he has fought the good fight, that he has finished the race, that he has kept the faith since that day on the road to Damascus. And he knows that there is a treasure waiting for him. But he says that treasure is just not waiting for him, but it is also for all of us who fight the good fight. It is for us who finish the race. It will be for us who keep the faith that you can take this promise and it is as sure as the sun is shining right now that one day God will reward you if you fight the good fight if you finish the race, and if you keep the faith. And I want to tell you, as I, uh, as I look out at the congregation this morning, as I look out those of you who make up the majority of the people who are a part of Aletheia Church, um, it, it takes me back to when I was your age. And it gets really weird now, and you're going to experience this when you're like me and you're 44 years old. And you're going to be like, wow, how did I get all the way to 44? How, how did I double myself all the way from college? Right? It, it, it's one of these weird moments in life because like, I hang out with you guys, so I don't feel as old as I am. But yet every morning I wake up, my body reminds me how old I am at 44 years old. Uh, people always ask sometimes, like, how do you know when you get old? And here's the simple answer. It's when you go to bed and you wake up the next morning, and you have injured yourself in your sleep. All right, when that moment happens, you can say to yourself, I am officially old. But I look out on you guys, and, I, and I, 
I see all the hopes and the dreams that are in your eyes and that are in your heart and all the things that you want to do in this life and all the places that you want to go, your hopes and your dreams about graduating from school, your hopes and your dreams about getting that, that first job, that first big job that's the reward of that graduation that gives you that first big paycheck that the government will legally plunder way too much of. I see your hopes and your dreams about who you're going to marry and the the kids that you're going to have and where you're going to live and just all the places that you're going to go. And and I I remember those days. I'm a boy from a one red light town in Alabama. Never in a million years after graduation did I ever think that I would move to DFW and get to live out my dream managing golf courses that I'd always wanted to do. But yet I had just become a believer, so I had no idea that God was going to take me all the way to West Africa to be a missionary. I had no idea that at a spiritual retreat, I was going to meet the woman who would become my wife, that I would propose on the first date and she would say yes, that now almost 18 years later, and everybody's going, really, did he propose on the first date? Yes, I did. All right, boys, let me tell you, you, you do it soon and you do it quick so they don't have time to figure it out and say no, okay? Catch them in the infatuation stage. It worked for me, worked for my father. My father proposed on the third date, so I had to beat his record, okay? So, um, yeah, I do it quick when you're an SB or they, they figure you out. So, I, I remember all those days. I never thought that I would go and start a church in the Northwest and then eventually end up Um, having some businesses that freed us up financially to to live out our dream of just being able to work and volunteer with college students uh, until God calls us someplace different. And and so I sat there and I I sat at this sermon this week and I thought about it. I'm like, what, what what would I want to hear? What do they need to hear with this encouragement to fight the good fight, to to finish the race and to keep the faith? And here's what I want to tell you. God is good. He is really, really good. And if you follow Him, you will see some amazing and wonderful things throughout your life. But know this, you will walk through some really hard times. Harder than 2020. You are going to walk into and through situations that aren't a part of your hopes and dreams. And I want to tell you that as you walk through these times, most of them, if not all of them, are going to be directly connected and related to other people who are in your organic spheres of influence. And so if you, if you look at how Paul kind of sets up this passage with First Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he kind of gives his final status update, right? I kind of view this through the lens of Facebook. I'm old enough that I don't understand Instagram or t- I've never even been on TikTok. I, I don't know, understand that at all. Um, I actually got off Facebook. I don't even do social media anymore. Uh, my life is much happier. I, I promise you try it. Yours will be too. Um, scientifically proven research out of Stanford. Um, but anyway... The, the point of this is Paul kind of gives his big final status update, but he only he doesn't just give a status update for himself. He gives a status update about people who have journeyed with him along the way as he has sought to do ministry, as he has carried out God's calling to fight the fight, 
to finish the race and to keep the faith. And so we are going to look at these people. And because Paul gives us several different categories, we're going to see those who are friends. We are going to see those who are enemies today. And we can take encouragement and strength from what it is that Paul teaches us and tells us about these people in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So if you see in verses 9 and 10, he continues this letter to Timothy and he says, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now, the one we're going to focus on out of this section is Demas. And if you're familiar with the scripture at all, this would be a very surprising thing to read because this is the third time that Demas is mentioned in Paul's letters. And since it's his last letter to those who knew Demas and the church at Ephesus to who this is being written along with Timothy, they would have known exactly who was Paul, Paul was talking about because he had traveled with Paul. He had been with Paul for a long time on these journeys. But in Colossians chapter 4, verses 14, we see that in his final words to the church at Colossae, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Philemon 1.24, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. But yet in this passage, we see this man who had been so faithful, who had been with Paul in the trenches for so long, Paul says, he has fallen in love with the present world and he has deserted him. You need to realize that in this life, there are people sitting next to you right now. There are people who will be sitting next to you in churches as you go out through life who you are absolutely sure are followers of Jesus who will one day reveal themselves not to be and it will be an incredibly painful experience. And you need to know this is not just the words of Paul because Jesus speaks about this in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 4, 1 through 20, Jesus says this in one of his earliest parables. <clears throat> Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples had no idea what he was talking about. Because it says, and when he, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, 
Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And now he goes to explain the four soils to which the word of God is planted. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear, hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And this is not Jesus just speaking for the sake of giving a parable and giving some teaching moment. This, this is something that plays itself out over and over and over throughout the course of our lives and throughout the course of the church. And it's something that the Apostle John speaks to in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. He tells the church, do not love the world. This is the exact thing that Demas is as Paul has said, Demas has done. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And let me tell you, you may have already experienced this in your life. But you may have not yet experienced it and one day will, and it will catch you off guard because there will be people that you are absolutely sure, people who you have learned great things from, people who you have heard say great truths about Scripture who will one day abandon the faith because they have fallen in love with the world. And the point that I want to make to you about this is this is why we must always preach the gospel. We preach the gospel to believers as much as we preach the gospel to unbelievers. As you go on from this church and your journey in life, we beg you, we, we will do anything to try and convince you to find yourself in a gospel-centered church that preaches the truth of the Scriptures over and over and over and over and over again. Because we all need to hear the beautiful truth of the gospel. That is why if you come to Aletheia Church, I can guarantee like 99.9% .9 of every Sunday you are here, you will hear the gospel presented. So to make sure I fulfill what I just said, let me explain this to you, right? The, the beauty of the gospel, what we need to know, what we need to understand 
is that the gospel is not just for unbelievers. You and I, we need to be reminded that if we are the children of God, we are in Christ. Christ is in us. That there is nothing that we could do to earn our salvation. We go out into the world and we work and we try to earn promotions and favor and do all those things. And it is so hard to separate our lives from the situation where we are always striving to achieve so that we can get something in return. And that's why the gospel is so offensive. And and, and is it not amazing that it is offensive? Because God says to us, you give me your sin I will give you my Christ. That's what God says, and that's what He wants. And we say, no, I want to do it on my own. I can handle this. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. And the Scriptures tell us, you have sinned against God, and there is nothing you can do to close that gap. Your only hope in this life is to turn from your sin, to turn to Christ, so that He who knew no sin could become sin for you. That He who was full of righteousness could then give you His righteousness. You need to hear this every day of your life. Do not get stuck in a church that simply gives you self-help mechanisms according to pop culture psychology. That is not what you need. What you need is the gospel every single day. And you will forget it. We all forget it every single day. And that is why the church must preach the gospel over and over and over to believers and unbelievers alike because there are you sitting in this audience today, in this congregation today, in this beautiful arena that we get to be in right now, who you think you are a follower of Jesus because you have grown up in this. But yet time will tell that you love the world more than you love Christ. This is why we preach the gospel, begging and praying that God will give you ears to hear and the eyes to see Jesus for who He truly is. Not only do we get a report about Demas, but we get a mention of two other guys, Crescens and Titus. Now this is a much more fun part of the sermon to preach because these guys align with exactly what we are trying to do here at Aletheia Church especially with one of our values beyond Aletheia. If you were to look on the backside of this chalkboard right here, as you go out today, and maybe you saw it when you came in, you will see many people, dozens and dozens of people that we have already sent out into the world beyond Aletheia. We, We realize that you are coming here for a brief period of time, most of you, and almost every single one of you, we're going to launch back out into the world. And I want to tell you, that's one of the main reasons we exist, is that we want to influence and impact your life now. And we want you to take these messages. We want you to take what you've learned here out into the world. 
And I want to tell you, it, it, it's because of where this university is located as the University of Florida, but also Santa Fe College. It's why my wife and I chose here, why Kevin and Jackie and the team originally came to plant the church here. And it's because when, when, when my wife and I had left our church in Seattle and we came down here, uh, you know, if you don't know our story, we basically just drove around the country with our four kids in a Great Dane in our minivan, just deciding where we were going to live because we get to work from our laptops and get to work wherever we want to in the world. And, you know, it may surprise you, well, why did you choose Gainesville, Florida, right? Seems kind of weird. And it, it is a little bit, but, you know, it's okay when I could be in like Costa Rica on the beach working for my computer, but we choose to hang out with you guys. But here's the deal. Somebody said something that really impacted us, that really flipped that switch in me to said, this is where I want to go. And it was Eddie from the BCM. He said, Daniel, I'm going to tell you why you should come to Gainesville, Florida. And I said, why? He said, because you come here, every person you interact with will be a future leader who will impact the world in a great way. I hope you realize the, the honor and the privilege it is to come to either to Santa Fe, which is the number one community college in America, or UF, which is now the number five public institution in America. God is bringing you into this place and He will launch you out into the world. And that is what we want for you. We want you to go and we want you to be like Titus and Crescens and we want you to go around the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ with your mouth, but also with your life. This is our deepest hope and our deepest desire for you as individuals. Not only will you find and come across people like Titus and Christians, but you're going to come across someone like Luke. I pray that God gives every single one of you someone just like Luke. The man who wrote the Gospel of Luke. The man who wrote the book of Acts. He was with Paul through everything. Everywhere Paul went, Luke went. When Paul faced his trials and tribulations and was stoned, it was Luke who sat with him. It was Luke who bandaged him. It was Luke who cared for him each and every time. Luke was that faithful friend who never left. I pray that on life's journey, God would give you someone like Luke. Along life's journey, you will probably have a Mark experience. Now, if you're reading this passage, this one also might shock you as well, because in verse 11, it says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. <clears throat> now, if you're not familiar with the Bible story, um, this guy Mark is also at the center of the very first church split that ever happens in world history. It happens back in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40. In that passage, we see that Paul and Barnabas have a violent disagreement over this guy named Mark. Sometimes he's named John Mark. And you're asking yourself, well, didn't this guy Mark write a gospel? 
As best we can tell, John Mark receives testimony from Peter and he pins Peter's gospel down on paper. But at some point in time, he really let Paul down. He really disappointed Paul and he left the work when it got a little hard. And look what happens. And someday, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So this story should give us great hope, right? Maybe this is how Demas' story ends up. We don't, we don't know how Demas' story is. We don't know finally he comes to his senses, he repents of his love of the world, and he gets back engaged with ministry, proving that it was a temporary setback and that not that he was not ever a follower of Jesus in the first place. But this guy, John Mark, and this is why you should love the Bible, right? Because the Bible doesn't cover up its warts. Paul gets it really wrong here, right? The guy who is the major influence in the New Testament outside of Jesus, 13 of the 27 letters that we have, he gets it terribly wrong. All this grace that Paul talks about, all this mercy that Paul talks about, in this instance, he gives this guy zero and says, I want nothing to do with him anymore because he let me down. Have you ever had a friend let you down? Have you ever had a family member let you down to where it did not seem like reconciliation was possible? That is exactly what happens here. This is a sharp disagreement. The first church split. And from this, we see now at some point in time, after the Spirit's work in their heart, probably as Paul was preaching about grace and mercy one time to a crowd, writing it in a letter, he, the Holy Spirit probably finally got to him and said, hey, Paul, what, what about that guy, Mark? Are, are you living up to the standard that you keep calling other people to? And probably in that moment, a deep conviction set in Paul, and Paul confessed his sin and repented of his sin, and we now see that John, whom they call Mark, is now back with them, doing ministry with them, and he has been restored to the place that he previously was. Not only do we see this great story about Mark that should encourage us, but we also see this story about Timothy. Timothy, this one that Paul calls a true son in the faith. I pray that each and every one of you has a Timothy. Someone that you invest your life into so much that you come to see them as a son or as a daughter in the faith. Someone who you give your life to so much and invest in that you get to see the fruit born in their life over and over and over and over. Now you have to remember, Paul was a single man, so he had the ability to invest in people that sometimes, those of us who are married, many times we don't have the opportunity to do so. 
men and women, but more primary to the men. Men, I want to speak to you to this. Do not outsource your God-given responsibility to the church to raise up faithful sons and daughters. One day when you have children, whatever church you are, it is not the pastor's job, the kids' minister's job, the youth pastor's job to raise your children, to teach them the faith so that they would become faithful followers of Jesus. That responsibility has been placed squarely upon your shoulders and you will give an account to God to how you raised your children in the faith. Your opportunity to see Timothy's in your life, and I'm sorry, I couldn't think of a Timotheus for a girl's name, to see those in your life. This is the primary responsibility of the family. So those of you who are fathers, those of you who will be fathers, those of you who are mothers, those of you who will be mothers, please let me implore you to make the imparting of the faith to children, your primary responsibility. I'm going to say this now. Some of you were raised in this. I'm only going to say it because I've seen it happen so many times. Do not forsake the gathering of the assembly to do sports programs on Sundays. Don't do it. You are setting a pattern for your children you are setting priority for your children to show them that it is not important to obey the work. That six days you shall work, but on the Sabbath you should rest. Do not give in to the ways of the world. Set the priority for your children that God comes first in all things. And for most of you who do, you will see faithful sons and daughters carry on the faith and carry on the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And to this part of your life, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I will tell you, the temptation to do this is going to be incredibly strong. As one who pastored a church in Seattle from birth to 92, I saw this play itself out over and over and over again. People's children would get to that sporting age and they would say, hey, sorry, we want them in sports. We want them to play these sports. Don't worry, we're not abandoning the faith. We're not abandoning Jesus. We're still doing all these things. And we'll come back to church when sports is over with. Do you know how many of those families I ever saw come back to church when sports is over with? Zero. And I was there for over a decade. It plays itself out over and over and over. Now, I did have parents come back once their kids were gone, and the stories of regret matched every story that left. I am just telling you, setting the priority for worship, for gathering with the saints of God is vitally important to the priorities that you set for your children as you seek to raise them in the faith. Not only 
Do I hope and pray that you have sons and daughters who will carry on the work? Not only do I hope and pray that you have spiritual sons and daughters that you invest in who carry on the work, but there is also one great warning you need to heed, and it is one that Paul issues to Timothy about a man named Alexander. Paul says to Timothy in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. I just want to tell you, as you journey through life, and maybe you've already experienced this, but I promise you, you will experience it again. You will have a close friend, co-worker, and family member who becomes your violent enemy. Whether you do anything wrong or not, you will walk through this in your life. And so my question to you is, what are you going to do when that, that moment happens? Because if you remember back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18-20, through 20, that's the first time we hear of this guy named Alexander. And Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we see here that apparently Alexander did not learn the lesson. That not only is he continuing his blasphemy and his turning from the faith and the shipwrecking of the faith, but he is now actively persecuting Paul, injuring Paul physically as well. This will be one of the most painful moments that you will ever walk through in your life. And so the question for you is, as a follower of Jesus, where are you going to turn when this happens? Because there will be moments that you cannot turn to anyone except for God Himself where you will have to sit there and you will have to be quiet and you will have to just take it. Because getting involved in it and speaking out against it, it's only going to make the situation worse. You will have to learn what so many Christians have learned before you, that you just have to let God be your defender and shut your mouth. And I want to tell you, it is one of the most painful experiences you will ever go through. I speak from multiple experiences. Older people can speak from multiple experiences. A family that was a part of our church in Seattle. A family who I had in my home numerous times. A family that we went to parties at their house a family that helped lead Bible studies in my church, a family where she was one of our key women's ministry leaders, one day made a shipwreck of their faith, 
But not only did they make a shipwreck of their faith, they made me and my church public enemy number one. And we lived in a town where I would regularly bump into these people, where I would bump, run into, I go into coffee shops trying to find the one that I know they were usually at, which they were probably trying to find, go to the one I was usually at. But yet I would see them and hear them having conversations in public about me, saying things about me and my family and my church. And they went to other churches and said these things. And to anybody who would listen and to give an ear, they would speak these things. And God's only commandment to me was, Daniel, shut your mouth. I am your defender. You will walk through this in your life. My wife in her business. Someone whom she helped lead to the Lord. Someone she was there at this person's baptism has made my wife public enemy number one. And to all who will listen, will disparage my wife any chance she gets. To where in a one-on-one conversation, she said to my wife, and I quote, I want you to know something. I enjoy making you hurt. What do you do with a person like that? You cannot reason with a person like that. You cannot talk to a person like that. You must simply do as other believers have done and you must rely on God. And you must keep your mouth shut and let God be your defender and the source of your strength. But don't think that for a moment that these situations are are solely for the point of making you hurt. Because what you have to also understand, you got to get this, all right? I I know right now, at some point, you're going to ask what God's will for your life is. What is God's plan for your life? If you ever find yourself asking that question, there's one verse you always go to first. Romans 8, 29. You got to know it. If you're writing it down, write it down. You got to know this. It is to conform you to the image of Jesus. Jesus, before His crucifixion, what do you know about it? Accusations, 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 accusations. And what was the pattern He set for us? He kept His mouth shut. God will use these moments to refine you, to build a character in you that you do not currently possess. The question is, will you lean into Him and trust in Him and be faithful learning this ever-important lesson that we need? Look look at what it says in Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, Now he's talking to us as the followers of God, the the sons and daughters of the King. We who have been justified by faith, the gospel, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith alone into this grace in which we stand. 
and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, and this is the crazy part, this is what the world does not understand, this is what we miss all the time, we rejoice in our sufferings. How much rejoicing have you done in 2020? Was it arguing and complaining or was it rejoicing? Paul says you should rejoice in your sufferings. Knowing that our suffering produces endurance. Do you feel like you built up a little bit of endurance this past year? Do you feel like you can handle a little bit more than you could in the past? And endurance produces character. Character like whom? Character like Jesus. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I don't know what your expectations for life are. I, you know, I know for me as a, someone born in 1976, who grew up in the 80s and 90s, like, like, I didn't have to deal with the things that you guys had have had to deal with as young children and, and teenagers, right? We never had the big economic recession. We, we didn't have COVID. So, so I don't know how these things have affected your soul and your psyche in these situations. My, my generation is, is pretty upbeat and positive, thinking everything's going to be better. I will say um, one of the funniest things for someone who moved to Gainesville two and a half years ago is when we first arrived on, I mean, innumerable cars in the Gainesville area. There was a bumper sticker. You couldn't go five cars outside this bumper sticker that said, if it can go well, it will. Can I just tell you since COVID, I've seen one of those stickers. I don't know what your current outlook is on life. And I want to tell you, you should have hopes. You should have dreams. And you need to remember that God is good. He is really, really, really good. He is really faithful. But you need to also know, and I'm speaking to you who are not yet to having children and not married yet, as wonderful as those blessings are, it only ratchets up the pressure of life so much more. When you find yourself in this relationship, that's an incredible blessing, but yet having to think about someone else all the time. You know, I'm at the point now where my two oldest are 15 and 13, and it's like, they're going to be you really soon. What life choices are they going to make? What are their career choices they're going to make? Are they going to have jobs that support families and all things? It, it only gets harder and harder and harder. Like if you, if, if you think being single is hard, just I'm telling you, marriage and children ratchet that up by an exponent of 100. This is why you have to learn to lean on God now. Because if you always go back to God as the source of your strength, He will see you through each and every one of these things. I could tell you innumerable stories of how good God is.
when my wife and I went to help plant the church in the Northwest, we had a newborn and $4,000 in our pocket. We lived off $4,000 for nine months in somebody's basement. And God was faithful every step of the way. In all of those situations where people have come against us and slandered our names, where they didn't deserve to be slandered, sometimes they deserved it. God has been good and God has been faithful. And He will be the same for you. But you must learn to find Him as the source of your strength. As you go on in life, and I know this is probably kind of depressing, and I'm not really trying to be depressing. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm a realist. And just so you know, a, a realist, when someone says they're a realist, here's what you need to know they're a pessimist who's doing their best to be an optimist. All right? That's, a, that's all a realist is, okay? And so I'm, I, I, I'm really not wanting you to be Debbie Downer. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but I just want you to grasp the realities of life. You know, you, you're young and you've got all this energy. It just goes away. Like it just goes away. Like testosterone levels drop and it's terrible. All right? And what energy you do have, your children are just going to suck it out of you in the first five minutes that you're awake. And as great as coffee is, and I drink a ton of it, it just doesn't do the trick. Red Bull's not enough to do the trick. Like, it, it, it's just not. And it gets, it gets harder and harder. I mean, like right now, even though I've done nothing, like I got this spot in my back and it's been bothering me for like two weeks and like it just won't stop hurting. And it's because I'm standing. And all of you are like, whatever, never going to happen. There is. But you're just going to injure yourself doing nothing, Right. And it's, it's the craziest thing. And so there are incredible blessings to getting old, but there are also incredible hardships with getting old. But I want to, and again, just the question I'm going to ask you is, where are you going to turn? When life ratchets up the pressure, where are you going to turn? And I find it um, very comforting that when Moses was at the end of his life and he's getting ready to step into the next life, this is what he says to his young protege, Joshua, and to the nation of Israel. But these exact same words, David, at the end of his life, says to his son, Solomon. So I'm saying these, hoping that I'm not at the end of my life today as I say these. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And He will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you 
until all the work for the service of the temple is finished. And what I want you to know is, God will not leave you or forsake you until your work on this earth is finished. I know there's a lot of fear in the world right now. I know the media, social media, is doing everything it can to project fear, any opportunity that it gets. But yet the Bible says to you, do not fear. Stonewall Jackson, one of the generals in the Civil War, impressed his men so much that he was never afraid in battle, that he would ride right into gunfire all the time. And they asked him, how is it that you are able to ride into battle never fearing anything? Never fearing getting shot, never fearing death. And he said to his men, Has the Lord God not determined the day of my death before I was born? And they said, yes, sir, he has. And he says, then what do I have to fear? For I do not know the day that I will die, but God does. And so I go on fighting until the Lord calls me home. And that is the encouragement that I would give to you. And that is the encouragement Scripture gives to you. That as you are called to fight the good fight, to finish the race and to keep the, keep the faith, I hope for the next 80 years, some of you are going to live to be beyond 100 with current medical technology. You've got at least 80 years. Please, find your strength and your support in God. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith.